tēnā koutou katoa, kei te whakarongo mai koe ki te reo irirangi o Aotearoa, me te moana nui a kiwa. This is Pacific Waves. Kia rana ko Lydia Lewis Deia, akarongo mai. Coming up... There was an explosion among the young children. We speak with the first Pacific Island country to ban vaping. Later on, was unbelievable, really tremendous to watch. We chat with a double gold medal powerlifting champion. Palau has become the first Pacific Island country to enforce a total ban on vaping and e cigarettes. Palau's Congress approved the bill, which will penalise both the sale and use of the controversial product. Anyone caught selling vapes could face a US$20,000 fine, and vape users will cop a US$1,000 fine. Vinal Fonua spoke with Tobacco Coalition Chair and First Lady Valerie Whips about the ban. Palau has now banned vaping. Why is this? Why has Palau made this move? Why has Palau made this move? Yes. Well, you know, um, for Palau... Um, when it comes to something that we believe in, um, you know, there's a strong solidarity in there. And one of that is um, protecting our children from harm. Um, and that is the harm from uh, using uh, e-cigarettes. It's still relatively uh, uh, a new health threat. And we believe that especially you know, as a, a small island country, you know, this is an opportunity to to prevent a new epidemic um, right now among our young children. You know, and Palau is not is not unique to banning this. Uh, there are other countries, uh, also based on science and other other strong findings uh, on the on the potential uh, health threat in general in using e-cigarettes and especially on on young children uh, with their developing bodies and uh, still their brain development. In just the past uh, few years, we actually, when I said that it's uh, potentially, I mean, it's still a very relatively new threat, we we really didn't see uh, e-cigarette use uh, on the island. It was it was rare, um, mainly maybe by the tourists or other uh, other visitors, but. Um, there was already talk to preempt preempt the introduction and uh, and the trend because we knew of of the health risks, especially on on young bodies and young minds. And in along those lines, uh, we have uh, there was a Palau Youth Survey that was done for uh, young people from nine to twenty year olds, and this was in 2020. And at that time, we were still not really seeing. Um, it's used within the community. And in 2020, it was only 11% among those 9 to 20-year-olds. And the next year, within one year in 2021, it had more than doubled to 29%. And then come 2022, there was an explosion uh, among the young children uh, with the use of e-cigarettes. Uh, parents were reporting, uh, talking about their children using it, principals, teachers. Uh, and so even before... I mean, our National Congress, uh, they too were also, also were seeing the harms uh, with this new, new form of uh, addiction that was being introduced to the island. Well, what I'm trying to say is, in general, there was 
build, uh, building up of a lot of support uh, um, to ban this new product because uh, we were seeing how it was taken, being taken up by our kids and um, personal um, experiences and, and witnessing of what it was doing already to our children. So we, there was a lot of support for a complete ban from our Congress who, before the community uh, approached them, they already introduced uh, a bill last uh, summer. We um, had a lot of support, of course, from our uh, Ministry of Health, our, our school system, our Ministry of Education, the uh, current uh, administration um, is also uh, also took this up, and from the community, you know, in in also helping mobilize or organize the concerns of the parents and families. Um, our very our strong traditional uh, women's group also uh, help us lead the uh, uh, the move to ban electronic cigarettes. Was there any resistance? to this ban? Any um, protests? Um, there were no protests, per se. And, um, and yet the, the resistance uh, was really coming from the economics uh, angle. Um, the businesses, their form of, res- of resistance was really on not understanding the, the, the current law because the current law already prohibits uh, the sale of tobacco products and e-cigarettes to minors. Uh, and uh, and our, uh, minors are uh, anybody under 21 and under. There, I, w- I wouldn't say there was much resistance uh, except for, like I said, in the economic sense. And, you know, with our, we're very reliant on our tourism industry. The ban comes into force on May 29. The former editor of Solomon Star News has called his former employer hypocritical after they allegedly refused to pay superannuation allowances to workers. Ofani Adamai was made redundant during the COVID-19 pandemic and says he has not been paid what he is owed into the National Provident Fund, the government organisation that looks after super since 2019. He told our reporter Caleb Fotheringham the company needs to pay people what they're owed so all parties can move on. The situation was that since around 2019, the Solmonster has not been paying up our NPF contribution to the National Provident Fund. That continued on during the period of the COVID. There were a number of staff who were made redundant during the COVID period. I am one of them, of course. We were sort of expecting the company to sort us out, pay off our contributions so that we can move on. But that has not been done over the period of time until right now as we speak. You know, this has uh, affected those of us who were former staff of the Solomon Star. We feel that there is a legal entitlement. Part of that uh, contribution has been sort of money that has been deducted from our salaries during our period of employment. So we feel that the company has uh, not lived up to its responsibility. So this is why this week one of our colleagues decided to call a meeting for former staff to talk about the situation, talk about the issue. So is it just former workers who haven't been paid their NDF contributions or is it all workers? So 
this is not something that has affected only former workers, but even the current workers were going through the same fate. They have not been paid their NPF contributions as well since, uh, you know, way by 2019 before COVID. So, yeah, it's uh, an issue that not only affected those who have left, but also the current employees. Why in 2019 did the Solomon staff stop paying their NDF contributions? I'm not really sure why they do that, why they didn't pay up. It could be due to their financial situation. I'm not sure, but the thing is that it's not only NPF contributions that were not paid here. Even our redundancy entitlements have not been paid since, although they promised to pay up, but they haven't done that. As I've said, this has affected those of us who have been made redundant because that should be also a legal entitlement. As editor, I'm I'm sure you did stories on other companies and the Solomons just not treating employees right. How do you find it now that the Solomon Star hasn't paid your NDF? I think it's quite sad and hypocritical in a way. A newspaper normally look for stories of that kind or any media organizations normally look for stories like that uh, to publish. We look for wrongdoing. We look for things that are not done properly to publish. And it's just not right. How do you expect Solomon Star management to respond to what the workers are wanting? This is just a simple matter. They are obligated to meet our NPF contributions. This is a matter that should not go all the way to court. They should just put the money together, pay us off, and we all move on. Let's not complicate it, I think. The National Provident Fund, or NDF, has confirmed to RNZ Pacific that Solomon Star News has missed payments. RNZ Pacific has reached out to the news agency for comment. They have not yet responded. Newair is this week welcoming its first visiting yachts in three years. The steady trickle of maritime visitors had been a much welcome feature of Newayan winters for many years until the island was shut down by the pandemic. The Newair Yacht Club manages moorings for the vessels. Its Commodore Keith Vile told our senior journalist Don Wiseman about the arrivals. It's a bit of a surprise because they just come in over the horizon and suddenly you find you've got two yachts in the bay and what's even more of a surprise when they came ashore on the dock they just kept coming so we ended up with 19 young Danes off uh, the two vessels, 10 on one and 9 on the other so they're travelling in convoy around the South Pacific. Many of the crew are, are the younger generation who are there for their sort of gap years they've left Denmark and come out to sail for two or three months in the Pacific and then they fly home and a different crew comes on board so they've been here about 10 days now and they've discovered new sites and scenes and cave systems and they'll sail off to Samoa in the next two days or so. It's been three years since yes. there have been any boats in, so yes. these are the first of this season. For New Age, just how important is it getting these boats? 
Well, it is. It's an important uh, addition because our tourism market here, the, the tourism office, they focus on uh, the Australian and New Zealand market for their tourists. And so here we've got the cleanest and greenest possible tourists you can ever have who sail in here, and they're basically all from Europe and North America. So in 2019, that was the last season we had here, we had 640 yacht crew came ashore, um, and, and that one in over two or three months. And they all pay the same departure tax as the people who fly in and out, and they make the most of the economy and spend up uh, restocking and uh, rental cars and all that sort of thing. So it's an important addition to the market that's uh, the New Zealand's uh, the market that they're actually looking for, looking at. And particularly important for the yacht club because, well, it's your only source of income. Oh, yes. It's just a voluntary organisation, of course. We're a non-government organisation, so it's two, as I mentioned, it's the two old guys still running it. It was started 35 years ago by Palangi, and uh, they're few and far between now, so we're just doing what we can with a bit of New Zealand aid to help sort of modernise the whole approach to incoming yachts of the previous book, you know, prior booking systems. We've got 20 moorings out there in the bay and we've had, uh, well we technically we've got 20 moorings, we had a dive team down trying to find what we'd, we'd left behind in 2019 so some moorings have been buried and others have been shifted in the storm so it's a major effort trying to get all these organised and get the mooring lines down. Because we've got World Arc coming through here. World Arc's a circumnavigation thing. They came every year. This year, they're coming back with a hiss and a roar, really, because there's two separate fleets coming. There'll be 56 yachts in all with 200 crew on board, so they're coming. We can't cater for that number, so they're coming in two different fleets. And each fleet's split up, too. So they'll come to Nui for about 72 hours and uh, have a various function with the High Commission, New Zealand High Commission, uh, offering uh, hospitality, and then they'll do the site, stock up and sail on. So it's very important, really, to an economy such as ours to get these uh, seafarers in, because they're an interesting lot. Yes. Do they st- always stay on the boats, or do they come ashore and take accommodation on the island? Very seldom. Uh, they do. This is the the one, of course, in the peak season of the year. Well, previously, anyway, it's a different story this year as far as the accommodation market goes, but... That winter season here is when the whales are here, of course, and so it's a big attraction, and most of the accommodation is booked out. So these these 640 that came on in 2019 were an additional, so they didn't need accommodation, but they did spend, and they supported restaurants, and as I said, all those other activities that the normal tourists do. So it's, a, it's a added extra, really. 640 back then, would you expect even more this year? Well, we don't know, really. As I say, we've got this major boost with the World Arc having over double the numbers that we've had in previous years right through from about 2008, I think. They've been coming on a regular basis. It was, was only a maximum of about, I think, 26 yachts at any one time. So that's double this year, and it's again because of COVID. The, the international cruising scene's been stopped there too. So it, the whole lots of factors involved is the various charges. It's expensive coming here because of uh, a variety of taxes, and so that may put uh, visiting sailors off. We carried out a survey saying, well, why do the yacht crews choose now? And they say, well, it's an interesting place to visit, and also because of our reputation. But as one guy said, well, there are lots of other interesting places to visit in the South Pacific too. So it's really a matter of balancing the cost to visit here compared to other places. So this may actually be a determining factor whether we get the numbers or not. The departure tax is just how big? Well, at the moment, it's the departure tax is built into the airline ticket. It's $150, I gather, 
is that you're not quite sure when you buy. Generally, in New Zealand, the only airline that flies here, and it's down to one flight a week. And so it's quite expensive to fly from Niue to Auckland, and, and that additional cost is basically at 150 and that's uh, it's very difficult to get a, the, the rationale behind that, but it's, that applies to everybody over 12, and that's one of the things that apply to the yacht crews too. So they don't use airport facilities and they don't uh, have the security issues. They do have the normal government staff attend for customs clearance and stuff. So that's being discussed at the moment because it may be a factor that uh, puts people off, put the cruising community off. 14-year-old Hepa Tuhepa, who lives with autism spectrum disorder, has won two gold medals for Niue at the Oceania Powerlifting Championship. It's an achievement that has won him high praises. Last week's win comes barely three months after his first lift at training. RNZ Pacific senior sports journalist Ilyasa Tora spoke with Hepa and his parents, who are very proud of their boy. It's a remarkable story. A young boy winning two gold medals for his country, Niue, in Niue, months after his first taste of the spot. Winning medals is good too because it shows me that I can do anything I put my mind to. In January this year, his parents, Richard and Angela, signed him up for powerlifting, a sport they have been involved in also. The focus was to help Hipper build self confidence and learn to face people, something he has always feared since he was younger. Powerlifting was helped to build my confidence, to build my body so that it is strong and healthy. And also it helps me to stay focused. His mother, Angela, says they are proud of their son and hopes his achievement can be an inspiration for others with autism. He's only recently started in the sport and the training that he's put into it since January has been really intensive but has really helped him build his confidence and build his strength, both his physical strength and his mental, mental ability. So we're just so happy that he's been able to achieve at such a high level. And we're very pleasantly surprised that uh, he was able to come away with two gold medals in the sub-junior uh, 105 kg category. Dad Richard who has been by his side throughout the training process, says their son has grown so much. I mean, he's always been quite a timid, shy boy. Mm. Since he's been getting into the gym, he just needed quite a bit of support. Eh? And we knew it was going, it was going to be quite, quite tricky, with him, especially with large crowds. But um, with that support from his coaches, there was also Maxine Edwards, who's also a competitor at a professional level. Mm-hmm. Uh, with her assistance and stuff, it really pushed on me to sort of channel all of that, that energy so that he could focus on uh, getting up on that uh, stage and uh, pushing those heavy weights. Just himself popping out there and standing on the rack and doing his uh, deadlifts, his uh, bench presses and his squats. It was, it was a real, real, real hard sort of um, goal for him to try and achieve. And uh, we didn't really understand, um, you know, how he was feeling at the time, but yeah, it was, it was quite a, a really hard journey for him to try and uh, work his way to it. But uh, with all of that support and help, it's been really good for him. 
Niwe Powerlifting President and Oceania Championship Meet Director Tony Edwards praised Hipa and said the young boy showed courage to be able to get out on the platform and perform the way he did. He's come a long way really to bring himself out there. It was all about building his confidence and definitely we saw a change in him during the training. For someone who is not really public speaking or public appearance, you know, he, he showed some real courage to get out on the platform and, you know, and to, to lift the weights, you know, the weights that he lifted uh, during the competition was unbelievable. Really tremendous to watch. Hippers coach, Sydney Louis, who also won gold at the event in her Masters category, believes powerlifting has been a positive game changer. The boy came from being very quiet, could hardly say a word other than nod and squint. And um, towards the end of the training, towards this championship, he was quite lippy, <laughs> asking me, because oh, I trained him, yeah. asking me um, why. The two common words were why and how come. It's like, <laughs> why are you giving me five kilos? Uh, why can't you give me 10? But it's just like, <laughs> he's, he had the, conf- the confidence. So yeah, the yeah. parents are laughing. When I said my bit last night at our debrief, I said, well, that's that's actually a sign of confidence that yes. he built while he was here. And we've only just been training for three months mm. um, leading up this, to this tournament. But, um, yeah, just amazing. Hebrew is expected to be part of the New Way powerlifting team that will prepare for the 2023 Pacific Games in the Solomon Islands. And judging by his recent performance, it will come as no surprise if he does win a gold or two in Honiara come November. That's Pacific Waves for today. To listen back, head over to rnzi.com slash programs or you can download us on Spotify, iHeart or Apple Podcasts. From myself and the team here at RNZ Pacific, kia manuia.